from here to there. We cannot go unless we change and start to grow. Welcome to Lead, Sell, Grow, a show that helps you amplify your leadership, grow your sales, and take your life to the next level, all while being human. Here are your hosts, Eric Konovalov and Harry Spate. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Lead, Sell, Grow, the Human Experience Podcast. I'm so excited to be with you guys here today, and it's probably because I'm drinking some energy stuff that's uh, like all natural and organic, so I'm pumped. Uh, I'm joined today with my main man, Harry Spate, and before we introduce our awesome guest, I want to remind you guys, go over to Facebook, join the Lead, Sell, Grow the human experience tribe group so we can connect there chat with you talk with you the group is growing every time we release this episode and um like us tell some friends about us and share this show if it makes an impact in your life harry who do we have on deck today uh that's a great question eric i am very excited to announce that we have a storyteller in our midst so you and i both know the value of storytelling we recently went to an event over in tampa uh something about life surge if memory serves this old brain of mine and we really saw the difference between people telling stories and getting the audience engaged versus those who are dispensing information and i think you and i both eric know the value of the story but we're still learning and today we have a real pro uh her name ladies and gentlemen is the michelle prince uh, not to be confused with any other Michelle Princes, this is the Michelle Prince. She is a publisher. She's a storyteller. She is the CEO and founder of Prince Performance Group. And get this, this lady has worked with Zig Ziglar, and she knows a thing or two about Zig. She was featured uh, crying, if you will, um, on a recent uh, documentary about Zig on Amazon, which you have to watch. I know Michelle also laughs, but uh, those are some great touching moments. And another cool thing is that she was the co-host of the Zig Ziglar Show podcast. And she's right up there with us with 40 million downloads. I mean, we have 40, she has 40 million, so it's close. So Michelle, welcome to the show. Sorry for the long-winded intro, but you're deserving of it. So welcome. <laughs> well, thank you. And I, but let me just have to preface this that the Ziggler show is actually not my show. It's Kevin Miller's. And I was just honored to be invited on as a co host uh, for, for a period of time there. But yes. Very cool, nonetheless. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. He had Don't zero downloads before you got there, just saying. <laughs> exactly. uh, I don't know about that. He's pretty. Funny. <laughs> I'm kidding, Kevin Miller. <laughs> uh, so, Michelle, a uh, couple of things I want to get out of the way early on is that the three of us have something in common. And that is, we have all sold copiers for a living. So can you tell us a little bit about that history of yours going back a couple of years or so? Oh, wow. I knew you did, Harry. I guess I didn't realize Eric did too. Well, aren't we the lucky <laughs> ones? Um, yes. So actually my career, when I first graduated college, long story, I, I didn't want to be in sales. It was the one thing I didn't want to do. And my only job, first job I could get right out of college was selling copiers, working for Minolta in Dallas, Texas, um, Carrollton, actually. And um, you know what, it was, I, looking back, I have, uh, I'm so grateful for the opportunity because talk about learning to cut your teeth early. And, and I mean, it was, it was hard. It was, uh, you know, cold calling back in that day was not picking up the phone, not sending a LinkedIn message. It was literally 
going building to building, door to door. You know, I don't know about you guys, but I remember getting raced out of so many buildings from security <laughs> from just trying to do yes. cold calling, you know. Um, but it was such great experience. And the, the coolest thing about it, though, for me, I was cold calling in Carrollton, Texas one day. I had swapped territories with a coworker. They had us do that every now and then. And I happened to literally walk up upon the Zig Ziglar Corporation, mm. which I had met Zig uh, five years right before that. It's a long story, but basically I went to a seminar right out of college, or I'm sorry, right out of high school. And anyway, I, I wanted to work for him then. I told him I would work for him one day. And then here I am cold calling and I run into the building and I, I literally ran inside and said, do you have any job openings? I will do anything to work here. Um, uh, typed up a resume, got an interview, quit that Minolta job as fast as I possibly could and started my dream job. <laughs> Wow. So wait, what was your job at, at the Zig Ziglar Corporation? So when I when I when I stumbled upon there, they had been um, they had one sales position open. And it was funny because when I was selling my copiers, I swore to myself, when I get out of this job, I will never be in sales again. <laughs> Not for me. It left and, that kind of mark. Right. It, well, it, it was just it was just. Yeah, um, I thought I was going to do something else. And, and to be truthful, secretly, when I said I wanted to work for Zig, I'm thinking I wanted to be a speaker and I wanted to you know do the fun stuff. But the opportunity was in sales. And then I ended up getting in there and I loved it, you know, because sales, as they say, is a transference of feeling. And I I believed everything that I, you know, everything Ziggler, what we were doing with training tapes, CD, you know, not CDs back then, but um, books. It was, uh, I just loved it. It was my dream job. Okay. So you look super young and Zig passed away, I think in like 2018. Yeah. Right. Was it, am I right on that? 18, 19. So yeah, it wasn't that long right ago, no, but can I ask what year you're talking about? Yeah, no problem like, at all. Yeah, no, I, I started working there in um, 90. It was August of 93 or four, 94. Okay. 94. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm when I, she was five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's just that five 93. decade mark. So I don't know about that, but <laughs> you seriously, wow. You don't yeah. seriously, yeah. I would not give you that. Honestly, oh, I would not you. give you that. It's the zoom camera, ladies and gentlemen is absolutely you, amazing. If you're not watching amazing. the video, we, we although it's not working hurts. for Harry, cause he's only hey, 35 hey, hey, and that's what you look like after a few, a few years in copier sales. I'm 27. I, I just look 60. <laughs> For Michelle, it went the other way. Well, <laughs> she got you. with Zig and got younger. You oh stayed God. with copiers and just, whew, what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That So uh, my funny experience, we've all had them, but I remember being in Washington, D.C., and we were in a relative high-rise. High-rise compared to where I grew up, but it's probably around 14 stories or so. And they had cameras in the hallways. And so we would get off one floor, you know, knock on a couple of doors, go in and then duck down, run down the corridors and get back on the elevator and go to another floor. And finally, this lady comes out and I'm cornered. There's a lady on one end and a big guy on another. And I walk towards a lady. She's about four foot three and probably around 70 years old. And she escorts me. She holds on to my arm. I'm looking down at her and I said, ma'am, you really don't have to hold my arm. And she says, well, you're a slippery fellow. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah so I mean, that's that's they, part of the business though right it was it's what they taught us i mean that's i remember that so vividly yes running you got high fives if they called the office i remember across the mall there were three office buildings 
and I was cold calling one and security came. It was the mall security, the patrol, all the grounds. And he kicked me out of it. So I got in my car. I drove around, went to the second building. That security guard came in and got me out of that one. He kicked me out of three buildings, got my card, called the company, threatened that I would get arrested for trespassing. When I got back to the office, it was like a party. People gave me high fives. The president ran out. I was like honored at a meeting in front of the whole sales team. Like this guy got kicked out of three meetings or three buildings by the same security guard. (laughs) Savages, just criminals working in copier business. No egos. (laughs) No egos. (laughs) All right. Enough about us, Michelle. Yes. So, okay. So you get with you, you start your career with Zig and you thrive. You love it. What happens then? So I was there for about three and a half, four years in sales. And, and, um, I, it was around the dot-com boom. I don't know if y'all remember that. And uh, technology was you know, crazy. And I had a recruiter reach out to me and there was an opportunity to get into IT staffing, uh, outsourcing basically. And the, you know, it was the golden hand or the golden carrot dangled and it was more money than I, you know, in my base than I made in you know, a couple of years. <laughs> and so it was one of those things where it was like, hmm, do I follow the money or do I follow my passion? And you know, I'm 20, early 20s and um, I followed the money and I don't regret it because I wouldn't, I wouldn't be on this podcast with you right now had I stayed. Um, it was, I loved being there, but I needed to, I needed to discover the real world outside of, um, you know, Ziegler was a pretty magical place to work. And um, I spent the next 13 years, I eventually ended up in software sales. So I was in software sales, um, right on up to me starting my business. So wow. yeah, and, but sales always, it's funny for somebody who started out saying, I, I, I don't want to be a salesperson. I never want to be a salesperson. Um, you know, I didn't know at the time we're always, we're all in sales, but oh, yeah, been in my DNA ever since. So what was the big, uh, awakening as far as that you were in sales when did that happen that you didn't want to be was it you know right away or was it after you've had a, a few sales jobs <laughs> i hate to say this to you too but it was my copier sales job that made me <laughs> i was not cut out for that um yeah I, it just wasn't for me i'm and i think yeah. it's probably the people i work with more than anything i you know I, we, we won't even go there yeah but, no because they're not like eric and i i mean we're special yeah. too so the three That's of us why are we're very not special. doing it either yeah. <laughs> so honestly, what was it's funny because Zig, uh, you obviously learned so much from him, but that was one thing that I really learned there was to be proud. Like you should sales, you should be proud to be in sales. And again, as long as you're representing something that you truly, truly believe in, you know, it, it's one of the most, one of the best jobs out there because you're bringing something that somebody needs. So um, it, it shifted for me then. And then from there on, I just, I, I stayed in sales and I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I was the best, but I was, I was pretty good at it. So it was, it was easy, easy to stay in or get in. But then the, the hard part for me was it was really hard to get out because um, we call them the golden handcuffs. You know, yeah. if you're, if you're doing well and you're selling and you're making commission and I was in software, you know, it's really hard to, to quit that. So, yeah. but I did for, for the right reasons. For the mm-hmm. right reasons. You went for the dream this time. Before we get into your dream, I'm just curious, how much time did you actually get to spend with Zig and how was that? Oh my gosh. So we were, it was, it sounds like a big office, but it was only about 80 employees. Um, there was probably, I don't even know how many salespeople were there at the time, maybe, maybe 10, but um, 
it was a family and he treated each and every one of us like a family member. And it was, he would, I remember him, he'd walk around the halls and he'd go walk into, I was in a cube, a cubicle at the time and he'd come by and uh, I was dating my, my now husband at the time though. And he'd always come in my cube and he'd say, Michelle, is that boy still treating you right? And, uh, <laughs> from Yazoo, Mississippi. <laughs> yep, yep. And he just—he literally. Um, I said this so many times, but it's—I've I've never met someone with more integrity. And he was truly, truly better behind the scenes than what you saw on a stage. And um, he just—he he cared about everyone so deeply. And um, yeah, it's so—it's so interesting because I—I um, I have this habit that if I'm in a gym and I'm a morning gym guy. Usually if I'm on a treadmill or if I'm on a stair stepper, I'm listening to somebody, either John Maxwell, Zig Ziglar, some, right? Yeah. So Zig, Les Brown, like those guys just, just love him. And I, w- I remember wondering, like, I wonder how Zig is not on stage because he's such a great actor on stage mm-hmm. and he's such a good connector and entertainer and he gets you sucked in. But what is he like in real life? And then I watched this documentary of Zig Ziglar Sorry, I didn't. I'm going to go back and watch for you because I absolutely love that documentary. (laughs) But I didn't. Harry just said, you know, before we hopped on, hey, did you know that Michelle was in that documentary talking about Zig Ziglar? And I'm like, no, we have Chris coming on in about a month to on the show. And I know he was very close. And at the end of that documentary, I could not hold my tears back. And it wasn't because Zig died, but it was because of people like you who were talking about the impact he had on them. And that was just such a transfer of emotion that I'm like, I don't know Zig that well, but I feel like I lost somebody. (laughs) And and you know, and there's millions of people, letters that the family's heard from people they've heard from, but it's, but yeah, one, one of my favorite memories um, was again, 80, 80 plus people in the, in the company and every Christmas morning, you know, he had kids and grandkids and all that. And every Christmas morning he would, leave his family, get on the phone and literally call each and every one of us just to say, you know, thank you. Couldn't do this without you. Like I get emotional thinking about it. it was just yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who does that? It's touching. Right. But that's yeah. who he was. And that's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. yeah. People actually, you know, send a text, right? Merry Christmas right. to your family. And it might be one to one and you think, wow, that's special. I'm not even in a group. But Zig Ziglar walked away from his family to pick up the phone and dial and just what a yeah. powerful. Right, we didn't have cell phones, so it's possible <laughs> he would have. But um, no, right, he, yeah. He just, but but that just tells you how much. Um, and if you've ever met anyone in the family, and and when I say family, it's of course Tom and Cindy and um, Julie are are the actual family members. But anyone related to Ziglar organization is is considered kind of family. It, they're all the same way. It's yeah. just. Mm-hmm. There's a woman that was on the documentary, Diane Kokoska, um, and she's pretty big in Keller Williams. So I, it's funny, I saw her there, but I also heard her be an interview on, on John Maxwell's 21 Irrefutable Leadership kind of uh, CD thing. And um, there was a period where she, her sons are there and they're teenagers at this point being interviewed. And they said, you know, Zig was in a group of people and he was pretty busy and somebody tapped him on the shoulder, said, hey, these are Diane's kids. And they were expecting him to just say, hey, boys, nice to meet you and get back to this conversation. But what he did was so powerful. He he turned around, got on his knee and like felt the kid's ear. This is the kid talking about it, felt 
his ears, mm-hmm. tapped him on the head, patted him a little bit, both of them, and said, I've checked out a lot of boys, and I can tell that you two are meant for something big. You guys are champions. And oh. just that, I mean, for a little kid to hear that yeah. from Zig Ziglar, you know, and now they're young adults, and they're talking about this experience from Zig and how they, they still remember it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful. Yeah. That That's is a great powerful. story. Okay, enough about Zig, right? Because we're here to talk about Michelle. <laughs> we're here to talk to Michelle. So tell us, so now you followed your dream. You are, you started two companies. Talk to us. How are you helping people? Yeah, so, if, well, just one thing to point out, I didn't intentionally start a company. I wish I could say I was smart enough to do that. <laughs> I had this big grand plan. Um, but no, I, I was, when I, when I was in software for all those years, I was just kind of, I wasn't happy. I had all the things that I thought would make me happy. I was making, you know, the money and climbing the corporate ladder, but then um, I was just missing something. And, um, and so it was my passion. And, but I always kept thinking, well, what would I do if I could do anything? And, you know, of course I always went back to motivating and inspiring and encouraging people, but I also always wanted to write a book and I never told anybody that really, but uh, I decided to write a book and um, I published it. Uh, Zig wrote the foreword actually. And wow, it was wow. such an honor. And, yeah. but you know what? I published it and printed it. And uh, about five people knew about it. <laughs> because, <laughs> um, it, was, it was just a goal of mine. I never really, I, I didn't have any other plan beyond, I'm just going to write a book. It's going to, I mm-hmm. want my boys, I had two elementary school boys at the time, and I just wanted them to know my story. And so, um, but, but what happened as a result of me putting my story, the same story I had been sharing with friends, you know, whoever I run into, when I put it in a book, something extraordinary happened. And that's when I started getting phone calls to do speaking and coaching. And before I knew it, I was, you know, doing that consistently. And then people would start asking me, well, hey, how do you write a book? I want to write a book. And I'm thinking, well, if I can do this, you can do this. Let me tell yeah, I you. I love it. And, um, and so it literally just kind of organically kind of grew like that. And then, of course, once I realized that I really need to focus on this, then I, I wholeheartedly jumped in. But yeah, it wasn't this intention to to ever help people with their story. I oh, man. So did you self-publish? Yeah. Say it again. Did you self-publish? So, yeah. So my first book, I um, I talked to a couple of publishers because I had some connections through Ziggler, but then realized real quick that if I'm doing all the work and they're getting all the rewards, there's something wrong with this. So I did self-publish um, and figured it out. And then before and then that kind of evolved to me helping other people do it. And then, you know, little by little, in about 10, 11 years ago, I officially started this publishing company, Performance Publishing Group. And it, it has just, you know, like I said, I never thought I'd help people with their stories. But if you get to the heart of what a book is, it's not about a book. It's never about a book. It's, it's about your story. And it's about how if you really want to make a difference in people's lives, you've got to share your story. And a book's just one of the easiest ways that I know to open doors in addition to help people. So So can I I ask, all right, Eric, you go. No, go ahead. All right. So um, I love so much about this. Um, Number one is you didn't really have the vision as to where this is going to take you. I think I can so (laughs) relate to that. Um, So I'd love to talk about that. But I think the thing that's more important is the, for people out there who have, thought about writing a book and have started writing a book and then they stop. And I have a friend who's, you know, I've been working on this thing for years. I even forgot I had it, right? Those (laughs) types of conversations. So 
how can we help those people to get their story out? What, what yeah. works for them? Yeah, you know, I see that a lot too. And it's, um, it's usually the people who have who've started a book and then it's 10 years later and they still haven't finished it. It's usually because there's a dis disconnect. And I always have people look at two sides of their story. There's your passion, you know, figuring out who you are, what lights you up, what are you passionate about? And then what are your experiences? You know, what have you done? What have you gone through? But it's not one or the other. And a lot of times people who get stalled in a book write about something that they're maybe they have experience in or they're good at, but they don't have any passion to back it up. Um, an example of that would be for the years before I took action on my book, I knew I, I was supposed to write a book. And every time I think about it, I'm like, well, I'll write a sales book, you know, because I could, I was good at cold calling. I thought, oh, I'll do like cold calling 101 or something like that. And every time I thought about sitting down and writing it, I was like, ugh, like, it's just, <laughs> you know, it just, I have no passion for it. Right. None. And so, um, and the opposite's true. If you only write something about something where you are passionate, but you have no credibility or experience to back it up, there's no depth there. So to help somebody with a book is really stop and ask, okay, are you truly, truly putting a book out there that you are passionate about? And, and it's important because once you write a book, you will be talking about that book for a long, long, <laughs> long time, like forever. So it better be something tied to something that really just excites you. Um, but it'll also make it a lot easier to, to get it out of your head and onto paper. Yeah. Outstanding. So the, you know, so what is, what is that people are typically doing? So they must, I mean, because you have your own publishing company, they call you and say, are they in this typical stage of I'm thinking about writing a book or I've got my book 90% complete. I need someone to publish it. Where are you finding the majority of people are when they contact you? They're all over the map. So when I, pre-COVID, I was doing a live event called Bookbound a couple times a year. And it's a three-day seminar to help people to write, publish, and market a book. Uh, we're just doing it virtually now. But we would get people for, in all phases because we'd have some people who are like, oh, I, I think I want to write a book, but I don't know what my topic is. Others who have already started writing, they're very clear on their topic. They just want help on, okay, how do I market a book? How do I, how do I build a platform? And then we'd have like spouses of these people and they say, oh, I don't want to write a book. I'm just here to support my spouse. And by the end of the seminar, I'm not kidding you. Every single time those people end up with an entire book outlined out as well, even though they a had spouse, no desire. Yeah. Because when you, when you start going through some of these exercises, you realize that everyone has a story and every mm -hmm. story matters. And we all have something that speaks to us that we want to, you know, help somebody with personally or professionally. And so um, that's, yeah. And, and that's why we can help people at every stage. I mean, if you, if you want to self-publish and go down that route, awesome. You know, that's what those seminars and our courses are for. But there's plenty of people who just say, yeah, I, I could do it myself, but I don't want to. <laughs> so, you know, right. help, help me do it. But yeah. And it could even be outside of us and that's okay. The thing is, is just getting it out there because you can't really make a difference if you don't share your story. I think for me personally, and I, I don't know how many people would agree that, with this or not, um, I think there's some of this imposter syndrome going on, right? Huh. Because like, it's hard, I think where your value is in helping somebody kind of evoke their story is tremendous because it's so hard to evoke your own story. Like it's so hard to to look back at your own life and say, oh, wow, what an amazing experience that was that nobody else went through. Because to me, I feel like everybody goes through the shit I go through, right? Like I feel like that's um, 
that's most of us like, and something you just said that every single one of us has this amazing story inside. We just don't know how to formulate it, but also one, we don't believe we have one inside of us. We don't believe that our story is anything uh, unique or special. And two, we don't see ourselves as a published author. No. And, and I'll be, I'll be real, real honest. I was so there. I mean, truly when I, when I kind of knew I wanted to write a book and I thought I figured it out that I wanted to tell my story. And um, my first book was a personal development book called winning in life now. And it was not a story of me being a winner. It was kind of my ups and downs in life and how I use personal development to, and what I learned from Zig and all. But I had a period where I was so just paralyzed with fear of like, or, or that self-doubt of, you know, in fact, this is exactly what it would subconsciously be going through my head. I'd be thinking, you know, who do you think you are? You know, who cares about your story? You're no Zig Ziglar, right? And I had that comparison. And then one day it just kind of hit me like, well, you know, I may not be Zig Ziglar, but if my story may resonate with someone who would maybe never pick up a Zig Ziglar book, you know, I, I was a working mom and, um, you know, I, I just have it. We all have our different perspectives on the same story. There's really nothing new under the sun, but it's our perception or our, our experiences and the lessons we've learned around those concepts that makes our story unique. And, and that was enough for me to be like, you know what, why not me? Why not? You know? And, uh, but I think it seeps in to every single person and I don't care who you are, how high up you are. I promise you people on the New York Times bestseller list are still feeling a little bit of that imposter syndrome. Yeah. Even I gotta after, tell you, I, okay. Even after multiple sorry, Harry, books. Just, yeah. I would think so. Maybe, maybe yeah. that goes away a little bit more. I mean, yeah. you, but you, there's always, you know, you could, you get to one level and then when you need to go to the next level, it's like that, you know, and then the next and the next. So I'm willing to bet. And I would place everything I have that if you would have stayed at Minolta selling copiers, you would have never written a book. Promise you I wouldn't. And I think the surroundings, like, like your belief, like once you got surrounded, once you got placed, planted into that environment of Zig Ziglar with the other 80 people who are drinking that personal development Kool-Aid and everybody's like, yeah, you can. And then you're looking at some people who are there who wrote books and you're like, hold on. <laughs> Whoa, if they did it, I can do it. Yeah. Um, that helps. And I think that if, if you're out there and you're stuck in any area of your life and there's somewhere you want to be, maybe you want to be promoted to a director sale or director position or start a company, surround yourself with those types of people, plant yourself in that soil so you can grow with them. Uh, because me, I was like an average D student. I think, I think the teachers got together in high school and said, we can't have this guy here another year. Let's just graduate him because he's not going to drop out. <laughs> and so I graduated. But there was, I don't think I've ever written a paper. I don't think I've ever done homework. Like writing a book was so far away from anything I'd imagined doing or thought that I could. And then I joined the John Maxwell team and just got immersed in that. And there's thousands of people, thousands, hundreds of them written books. John Maxwell, all the mentors I had all wrote books and it almost became like, like a no brainer. Like why, why it, wouldn't it you write like, yeah. yeah. Why wouldn't I write a book? Like, why don't where, why haven't I written a book yet? That's <laughs> so funny. I mean, just by yeah. changing where I was planted. So I knew Eric before he was a, an author, right? <laughs> Putting Eric's name 
next to the word author was probably the furthest thing from my mind. And when he, Mine too. <laughs> right. But I mean, it was, it was amazing. The transformation, right. The whole thing. I mean, I knew Eric before he was huge into leadership training and motivation and, you know, then seeing the transformation, you know, now I look at him and it's like, it's hard to believe that he was a D student. He's like one of the brightest guys I know. I mean, he really can hold the conversation way better than a lot of us can. And he goes pretty, it goes deep. Right. Well, and I so, know A students that can't hold a conversation. So don't confuse education with yeah, conversation. Exactly. Right? No, no. But I mean, <laughs> so the point is, is that that transformation makes it look very natural that you were uh, an author, even though the title of the book was kind of weird. Uh, but oh, the yeah. new title is awesome. And then uh, he just he just fits. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the thing is that most of us probably don't feel like we're going to fit. And I've talked to a few friends who are authors and they just keep saying, just wait until the book's published because then it will all kind of come together. And, you know, the picture kind of gets filled out. Is that your experience? Yes. And, you know, the the several years, the last couple of years that Zig was alive, um, you know, he, after he had a a fall and he had a, a brain injury, he would repeat things a lot. And, um, but he was very consistent and anytime he would meet anyone, he would always, and even before the injury, I think he was doing this, but he would always ask people, have, have you written a book? Have you written a book? Have you written a book? And uh, one day I was up at the office. This was um, just a couple of years before he died. And I was uh, doing something there. And uh, I said, Mr. I, I grabbed my cell phone and I had a video and I, and I started recording and I go, Mr. Ziegler, why do you tell everybody to write a book? And, uh, and he, he started you know, he kind of lost his train of thought at some point, but, but basically he, his point was it's, it's who you become as a result of writing a book, not necessarily, it's not about the book. And it's, it is mm. true. It's like this confidence and what's, and that's what the part of storytelling and, and helping people with becoming a book. It's, I, I, I never, I don't, it's not about the publishing, the editing and all that stuff. That's just the means to an end. It's helping people to see that everything that they they have something within them that nobody else knows that 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 needs to be heard. And when you can help them see that and open their eyes to who they already are, um, it, it is pretty amazing to see that transformation. And it sounds like that's what happened with you, Eric, because you were the exact, I, I say this all the time. I was the exact same person the day before I wrote my book and the exact same person the day after. But everything changed in in terms of like opportunities and how I felt about myself and all that. Um, I don't think I felt that after I wrote my, I think the transformation happened first. And then I was like, well, I'm now the type of guy that should have a book. book. Yeah. And I wrote it, but just like you, I've never thought about selling it. Like that wasn't my idea. I thought, you know, this will be my business card. It'll give me some opportunities to, to grow. I don't think the book really has done that for me yet. Cause I, I really didn't do a good job promoting it. So if, if I could, you know, being one step ahead, having written a book, if someone, if somebody's listening who really wants to write a book, I would really question, like, what do you want that? If you had the book today, what would you want it to do for you? And then if you begin with that end in mind, that's, that was one of my mistakes. Like I didn't have a coach. I didn't have it. I literally opened up a word document, started writing, hired some company out there who I freaking, I don't know. They, they ran it through a few edits and I hated what they did. Um, so after that, I changed the whole book myself anyway. 
But well, doesn't it give you confidence though that the book is something you've done? I mean, even though you haven't really promoted it. No, it? that's the thing I'm talking about. Is like yeah, it's okay. just another thing. That's I have such a big problem with looking back and giving myself kudos, if you would, for the stuff that I went through or I did. And it's detrimental because I have a tough time coming up with great stories because I just think it's a normal thing to do. Can I, can I give you my thoughts on that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Send I mean, Bill to Harry. Therapy. We love yeah, therapy. Voice to Harry. We well, love look, therapy. So, so you've gone through the process and, and you, you see how it's not hard. It's not rocket science. I mean, truly it's not. It, it no, even much, I can I, do it. I, I say it all the time. Anyone can write a book, right? But it's, so you know how easy it was to so maybe in your mind you think, well, it's not as good and all that. But the reality is, is other people see that you have published a book, people who don't know you, there's that credibility there that's instant. But look, look, though, you're on it. You have this great podcast, right? Would you have done the podcast without the book? Maybe, maybe not. But it's the it's because you stepped out. Now you're you've kind of just solidified your message a little bit more. Um, it, it, it's it doesn't stop there. Right. So the book is just one small step to building this bigger platform. Um, and, and which comes first doesn't matter. There are plenty of people who start speaking and then they write a book where they start a podcast and they do a book. Others do the opposite. But I, I just think maybe you're downplaying it a little bit because you've been through it. You know how it's it's not as mystical as it maybe once was. Right. And you don't have to be. A, here's the thing. You don't have to be a great writer to be an author. You just have to have the story. That's what editors are for. <laughs> so knowing that That's it doesn't point. feel as hard right? Because it's just your story. And how hard is that to tell? So maybe that's why you downplay it. But truly, it is a big accomplishment because so few now in your circle and in mine, in our personal development worlds, yeah, everyone we know writes books. But majority, uh, I, I can't remember the, the most recent statistic, but at one time, it was like only 6% <laughs> ever follow through the book. Plenty say they will, but so few follow through. And that's what makes it a bigger deal. Um, more and more people are doing it now, but I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there that it's a, it just may not feel as big of a deal to you that you didn't promote it because it wasn't as difficult for you to get your story out because it's your story. That, yeah. I appreciate that. That's, I, I think you just hit the nail on the head, um, Michelle, because you said, I think, cause I'm surrounded by I, literally I can turn the five closest people that I'll talk to and they have books <laughs> that they've written. It's like, was the big deal. So I need to step out of the soil and. Cause you're going to impact somebody listening to this podcast that is not in that circle. And they're sitting here listening to this saying, Oh my gosh, it's still seems like this huge mountain to climb. Um, so maybe you'll inspire someone with that. And you know, if you can do it, <laughs> if Eric's name is on a book, then anyone can do it. Right. That's right. Wow. Okay. So break it Send down. Eric. So somebody's here somebody's listening. They're like, okay, if Eric could write a book, I surely can write a book. What's the first kind of, are you able to give some of the juicy stuff, like a couple of steps that they should take right away to get the ball rolling and build momentum? Absolutely. Well, the first one is something I already mentioned, and that's figuring out the passion experience, doing that exercise, make a T chart, left side of the T, write all your passions, right hand side of the T, write all your experiences and find a connection. You know, like for me, I love personal development. I've, I've I didn't get to tell that part of my story, but I, I, my, I fell in love with personal development at the age of 18. Um, and it's just always been that way for me. And on my experience side, I worked for Zig Ziglar. That was kind of a cool personal development, you know, working for the master of personal development and some other things in there. So there's that connection. That's a natural book topic. 
When you do this exercise though, you're really, what it's doing, it's not just showing you what a book you could write. It's, it's just, it's your story. It is, you are your story. So, but the intersection of the two is the magic because it's a book that you have the credibility to write and should write, but you also have the passion and the motivation to do it. Um, but then once you determine your topic, then it's just a matter of how are you going to get it out of your head on the paper? And there's, there is no right or right, wrong way. People think they have to sit down and belabor over a, a keyboard. You don't. You can get on a Zoom call just like we're doing and you can talk and record yourself and then take that audio file and get it transcribed and let that be the basis of your first draft. Or you can type it or you can write it. But um, or for me, like my second book um, was actually the first draft was created from me recording some speaking engagements. I, my, my next book was called Busy Being Busy, But Getting Nothing Done. And so every time I would speak on that topic, I'd record myself, transcribe it. Again, that's not the book, but it's the basis of some content. Um, and then from there, you just have to determine, okay, how, how are you going to produce the book? Do you want to self-publish it? Do you want to try to shop it with a traditional publisher? Do you want to work with a hybrid publisher or what we call our company is more partner publishing, but it's that middle ground. And the end result is the same. So it's hundred percent going to be based on your budget and your time. The more money you have, the more you can outsource, the less money you have, the more you do yourself and you self-publish. And there's no right or wrong. It's just a matter of getting it out there. But ultimately, if you're writing a book, I'll say one last thing. I'm not, if you're truly writing a book only to sell books, you're in for uh, an uphill battle because <laughs> it has nothing to do with selling books. It is, I, I, we call them business card books, but they're door openers, right? It's, it's who you become and the opportunities that are attracted to you because you were published that that's where the revenue comes from. You'll sell books, but if your only motivation is to sell books, then you might want to rethink it. And why yeah, is not that? too many I people just, want to buy books. Yeah. I mean, I think of like, um, you know, before I started writing a book years and years ago, I thought you, there's only one way to write a book and that was through someone like random house or yeah. some, something like that. And even, you know, to this day, people who when find out that I'm, you know, near the end of this book, they say, so am I going to see this at airports? Where will it be in the bookstores? And it's like, uh, no, <laughs> I don't it think so. Be. Yeah. Well, yeah. But you pay right. for placement. So it's yeah. a market to sell right. a $3 book, which may have let more or less than that. Um, I, I just look at it as if you're going to put a lot of effort in marketing into something, would you rather put that effort into selling something that is $20 or something that is 10,000? Right. right. Same effort. So if you use, if you look at the book as the opportunity to help more people in different ways, like consulting and coaching and speaking, then you see the book as that it's a mar it is a marketing tool, but, mm -hmm. but it also helps, helps a lot of people who truly that's what, they, that's how they learn. They love to read or listen yeah. to an audience. Mm -hmm. So can you and, coach me, okay. Michelle? Like I have this book, it's a door opener. It's a business card. I don't really know how to use it properly. What would you recommend I did with it nice. to open what, doors? What's the, what's the goal of the book? What do you want people to do as a result of reading it? So this book is directed towards people kind of like you when you first got out of college and got your B2B sales job. Uh -huh. um, it's a step-by-step, -step, you know, first three chapters are mindset. Next five is like, from cold calling, emails, LinkedIn, building relationships, connecting, awesome. running a first meeting, 
doing demos and, you know, validating them and closing the business and building the relationship post sale. So that's, that's the whole book. It was my story of when I got into B2B sales to managing a team at Xerox and everything I learned. So that's what I want. I want to be able to give that to somebody who's going to benefit in, in a B2B sales role. But my goal is to come in and train the team or coach the sales leaders on how yeah, to train their sales team. That's exactly what I was about to say. So even given the way you could give the way, can't speak right now, you could give the book away for free, right? And that could individually get you people possibly like coaching or something like that. But I, if it were me, what I would do is approach um, large organizations and, and it's the curriculum from the book is what you would come and do like a full day training or a two day training. And then everybody gets the book as part of the program. Um, but but more of the the solidification of what the content is. This is what I'm going to teach your people. This is what I'm going to walk them through step by step by step. Um, I, you know, and when I first started, I would just mail my books out to companies and just say, you know, I, I really love your organization. How can I how can I serve you? Type of thing. And I, with a letter, or so you send a book. I'm sure it's autographed. You're sending it to who? The president or the the sales leaders? Or it kind of depends on um, what the, the you know, for, so for the example, when I was doing the Busy Being Busy book um, several years ago, I would send it to organizations that I felt like had similar values or similar mission um, that, um, and I would approach like either the VP of sales or the, um, if it's a smaller company, I would go to the CEO, but, um, and just kind of put it out there like, hey, this is something, you know, I'm passionate about, and it would be a personal letter, but I chose companies that I had some connection to, like, um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of one. I, I, I won't think I ever heard back, but I, you know, but like Chick-fil-A was one, right? That, cause I, I, I related to a lot of, um, and I knew the kind of training they were already doing. So those are the types of companies I would reach out to. And, and, and here's the other reason, and it's, it's a little selfish too, but you know, people will throw away a brochure, they'll throw away your business card, but they won't throw away a book. And, and unless they just absolutely positively never have a need for you or your book, but generally um, people value books still. So if your book is on their desk and it may not be a phone call, you, you know, that they return right away, but if eventually they're like, you know what, I need to bring a speaker in and, oh yeah, where's, where's that book that's on my desk? Okay. What's that Michelle? She's speaking on productivity. What, what can we, <laughs> you know, so it's, that's how I, I like to use books is more, I have no problem. They say, don't ever give a, a book away for free. And yes, I do. Who agree says that? that? Well, I, you know, I've heard that before. I, I've heard it too. I've never yeah, heard you it. Know, Seriously. Yeah. I, I only heard, give your book away for free. <laughs> I'll tell you that the two books. Well, yeah, I guess it's changed. The two, my last two books that I wrote were um, what I call more business card books. And so one of them, I literally made into a business card and it's called your book is your business card. I love it. I would never ever sell this. I just, when I go and speak, I, I, you know, offer to give everyone a free book and in exchange, we share business cards, right? They get my business card, I get theirs. So I'm building my list. Um, and so that's one thing, but this last book I wrote, the power of authority, I didn't, it's available for sale, but, uh, we did a free book campaign. And, and so the way I, and I put all of my best stuff in there, so I'm not holding back anything, but if somebody reads this book, they resonate with the message of, you know, building your platform and building your authority, um, play on words, you can't spell authority without author. Um, but you know, if they read that they're likely going to be someone that doesn't want to waste their time learning, you know, how to, 
about ISBNs, they're likely going to be an executive or, or a higher level person that wants to outsource that effort. So I'd happily give those books away for free. That's right. Yeah. And, if yeah. It, and people, you might be thinking, well, how much money are you spending? I just ordered, I think, 50 books uh, as an author from Amazon. So I published on it through Kindle Direct Publishing on Amazon. It's like $3 a book. So for $150, I'm getting 50 books. Well, and what's the value of that, right? If that one book opened up an opportunity for you to come in and <laughs> yeah. do a couple thousand dollar uh, training, it's Huge. worth every penny. Good. I'm going to yeah. make sure I have to send you one. I would love I to read it. In fact, right. too bad I didn't have that book when I first started at Minolta, or maybe I would have stayed. <laughs> right, yeah. Then who would you be talking to? Yeah, maybe, I would have yeah. ruined your life. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I don't think so. That book yeah. is, I think the book is great that he wrote. I mean, it's, it's sprinkled with some funny stories. You know, Eric's got great personality. Um, so yeah. Thanks, he, Harry. You should be doing I'm not just, training yeah. for, you should be doing sales training for every copier company out there. You're giving so much, you know, just talking about the industry and. Yeah. And not taking yourself so dang seriously. I mean, these people that's, in sales, I mean, it's like life and death. I mean. I used to say the line frequently and still do. We're not saving babies, right? It's yeah. like people would get so stressed over losing an opportunity. Like, you know, the world's coming to an end. It's like, come on. It's really not that bad, right? <laughs> I mean, when you got, to, uh, one of the questions I had was when you went from, you know, sales in the B2B corporate space and went into uh, working for Zig, what were a couple of big differences? Because you're still selling. Right? Yeah, and what, I was, yeah. and we were still B2B. So I, we were selling lots of things, of course, books and tapes and all that. But I focused on, I figured out really quick where the biggest opportunity was, and that was in speakers and training. So I, I was calling on businesses. I was calling on large organizations and selling them training and, or, or, um, calling associations and groups that I knew would do quarterly events, yearly events, and they, they're bringing in a speaker every time. So um, I was good at cold calling and consistency. So, okay, great. You got someone for this event. I'll call you in a few more months. And it just, yeah. that's where I focused. And so it was hundred percent B2B on, you know, when I for, you know finally got my groove there. Yeah. So consistency was big. What else stood out for you? You know, back, gosh, things have changed so much because that was so long ago. But yeah, I, I was kind of, um, I was crazy about documentation, keeping that, like I, I documented everything. So if I had a mm. conversation and they told me their daughter was sick, I wrote it down. So next time I called, I, great. I would remember. We had a database system. And I forget what it was, but goldmine, I think, back in the day. Um, but then I also just, I'm very, at the time, especially, I was very competitive. We had to make a hundred sales. We had to make a hundred phone calls a day. And um, I was just like, I'm, I'm doing this. And I'm, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, I want to be the Can best. Can I ask like, what's an average, what was Zig charging to come in and speak or train? So when I was there, it was only, only like 40,000, 50,000 for talk. Um it for an up. hour talk or two hours? Like one hour talk, 50 grand. Yeah, usually a keynote. Mm -hmm. I know there wow. were big ones, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, in our training. Well, he was Zig Ziglar. <laughs> but you know what? You know, Zig Ziglar didn't start till he was 45? So he, he, act, yes. Well, 
so when he was 45 is when he committed his life to Christ. And every, he says, he says that when he did that, everything in his, everything changed. And he never, ever, ever had to solicit a speaking engagement from that point on. He was doing Got it. it. He was doing it before then okay. very well. <laughs> the way I saw it, the way I understood in documentary is things were not going well for Zig. So maybe I just interpreted that into, as, you know, he wasn't doing hand. that. But it was, you're right. It was his mid mid to late forties is when things started to really kind of like take off and meaning, you know, be, being, becoming a friend with Mary Kay. And that opened up this opportunity. It forced him to write to you at the top because she wanted it for all of her, her um, reps. And, and that book is what really launched everything for him. That's crazy. Gosh, I love that. Absolutely love it. So what's next for you, Michelle? Well, let's see. Gosh, I'm working, you know, lots of different book projects, which we love to do. Um, I, I, um, I'm also doing quite a bit right now, leadership training in different areas. Just, it's the same message. It's really just, you know, finding your, what you, your gifts, your talents and, and how you can be the best you can be, whether it be at work or at home. So it's the same kind of message, but, um, they overlap so much. Um, I'm working on another book and, you know, just, just continue on that and a couple other things might be launching this next year. We'll see. <laughs> wow. So let me ask you this. So you have children. I think you mentioned two kids. I have two boys. My oldest is 21, just graduated college. And my youngest is 18, about to go off to college. Okay. So now you have probably a little more time than, than the parent who's got the 10 and 12 year old at home, but you wrote your first you wrote your first books while they were probably what teenagers. I mean, they, they were still needed your attention. You're running a company. They were five and eight. They were both in elementary wow. school. And I was working a full-time job selling software, traveling all over doing demos. And uh, yeah, it was crazy busy. But that's where that passion comes. I was so excited about writing and, and getting my story on paper that it's it just kind of flew out of me. But yeah. So when people say like, oh, when am I going to find the time to write a book? I'm like, I, I get it. You'll but, find it. Well, wh so what was your schedule like? Like I, when I committed, just to share with you, when I committed and I, I read... Um, I think it's Honoré Quarter, one of her books about like why you should write a book. She's, she's anyway. So um, she said, commit to a minimum word count per day. So even if there's a day where you wake up and you just don't feel like writing anything, as long as you commit and mine was 300 words a day. So no matter what, I'm going to write 300 words a day. And there were days where I only wrote 300 words. You know, and if that, I think that's a great plan if you can be committed and creative. Um, for me, I am more of a uh, uh, download kind of person. And so when I'm feeling kind of creative, I may sit there for two to three hours and just pound out a ton and then need a couple more days to think it through. So it's kind of, I always tell people, you know, figure out how big of a book you want. If you want it to be 30,000 words, if you want to write it in a month, okay, it's a thousand a day. You got, want to give yourself three months? But I like doing it more on um, figuring out the concepts and maybe doing one core concept a week and versus the word count. That's just how I operate. But that's uh, awesome. It's really and how would you schedule? So you're just like, hey, if I'm feeling it, then that's when I do it. And if I'm not feeling that I don't do it. Well, uh, so so what I would I still do this. So my this and this isn't even just about writing a book, but like I, I, we all have the most creative time of the day, the day that we are literally like the most focused, the most like on for me, it's not right when I wake up. Um, but it's usually between like seven to 10 AM. And so what I do is I just kind of block that, that time out and it's just 
for, because that is my time that I know if, if I have to do something really, really urgent, like writing, that's the time of day that I'm going to be most likely to do it. Four o'clock, forget about it. It's not going to happen. Um, and so I would just block that out and then commit to doing it. But then, you know, things do pop up, but I, I'm more of a by the week kind of thing. By the end of this week, I'm going to have this much done. But what I find is some days I'm just on a roll and I just keep going and I keep going. And so I, I, I wouldn't want to stop at 300 words is what my point I'm trying to make there. Oh, um, yeah. No, I wouldn't stop. That was my minimum. So there were, oh, minimum, there were days yeah. where it would be, yeah, yeah. yeah, no matter what, yeah. minimum of 300. So even oh. if I don't feel like it. And sometimes... I'd start off when I didn't feel like it and end up with, you know, 3000 words or 5,000 words, but just that, exactly make the space for it and then yeah. commit to doing it daily. Totally. Great advice. Yeah. So Michelle, how do people find you? They're listening to you. They're like, okay, I got to get this lady to help me get this book out of my head on paper. <laughs> I got to call Michelle. Where you do they bet. go? Well, if you want a free strategy session, just to kind of talk through if, if, if you even have a story or if you want some ideas, um, go to performancepublishinggroup.com. Um, we do strategy sessions there or, you know, michelleprince.com. I'm on social media. I won't say I'm the best on social media, but I'm, if I'm anywhere, I'm most likely on Facebook, <laughs> mm -hmm. but you can find me pretty much everywhere. But oh, I should say that, but then we talked in the beginning. Uh, Michelle Prince, uh, Ziegler speaker is probably more if you're going to Google, um, because evidently there's another Michelle Prince that Eric was studying before uh, we met today. Yes. <laughs> and thought, if she's listening, we a different I'm sure Michelle she's Prince. great too. <laughs> she's probably yeah. absolutely wonderful. She'll be on your next show. Possibly. Oh, that's uh, great. Michelle, thank you so much for being with us. This was a fun conversation. Oh, thank yeah. you guys for having me. Appreciate it. So glad you got out of the copier industry. <laughs> From here to there, you're going to grow because you've listened to our show. If you like our podcast vibe, don't be a stranger. Hit subscribe. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to join the B2B Sales Secrets Facebook group and we'll see you on the next episode.